Hello, folks. Um, my name is Corey McCarthy. You guys uh, know a little bit about me. Um, you know, um, I, I'm hosting with a couple others, um, the Factivism um, podcast. I'm sitting here with a, um, an esteemed co-worker of mine, uh, Brendan Hazley. I hope I said it right. I don't like messing up people's names right. You, you, didn't get, you, you didn't get it right, but don't feel bad. And no one gets it right the first time. My name okay. is... You say it hassy, like it rhymes. My dad likes to joke. He's it rhymes with classy, and uh, it, you don't pronounce the second H, but that H. Ah, okay. So, so hassy. It's hassy. You know. Just hassy. Hassy. Okay. Hassy. Wow. Wow. So it's, oh. yeah, that's a complicated. It's a good icebreaker at the beginning of the year with the kids, though, because when I'm learning their names, I always say, "Well, I don't know how to pronounce your names all right." Yet. You don't know, none of you could say mine right the first time. So we're all, all going to get this right eventually. It's all right. You know what? It's all of, it's like a learning curve anyway, so don't worry about yeah. it. I, um, I, I, I'm definitely glad to um, glad to have you on. You know, we've been trying to get, get this for a while, but I'm so happy I, I got you now. Um, you know, I um, appreciate you um, and all, a lot of the Everett folks as well who, who have welcomed me, welcomed me into the community and um uh, really um, showed me that they are ready for uh, to take the next step and not just student achievement, but building towards um, student equity, um, educator equity and, and, and joining the fight, the fight um, together. Um, I think in the long run, personally, I feel about how I feel about ever. I think it could be the best urban district school in the state. That's just my personal bias for me and the kids. I, I know kids are the same everywhere, but it just it's just feels a lot different um, here, and I and I and I love it. So um, you get a chance if you want to right now, just give us a little bit about you. Oh uh, yeah, well I'm I'm Brendan Hassey. Uh, I'm a te I'm a social studies teacher at Everett High School. Um, I teach ninth grade U.S. history mostly, U.S. history one, which is kind of the first half of U.S. history from like the mm -hmm. French and Indian War to the to about almost to World War One. And um, I've been doing that for nine years now. This is my ninth year at Everett High School. And um, I, all in addition to uh, teaching, I also, I coach at the high school too. I'm, a, I'm the head cross country coach and nice. I'm also an assistant on the track team. And uh, so I'm around the school a lot after school too, you know, coaching most of the year. So uh, great. Yeah. I, so um, for some of the, the students who are listening, I always, I always make, if they, if they are, I always try to have our adults tell us what college they go to. So what college do you go to? I call, well, I went to, um, I went to Bates College, which is up nice. in Lewiston, Maine, you know, about two and a half <laughs> hours cold, you know, like uh, north of here. But um, I really, it was a, it was a good place. It was the right place for me. It was, uh, it let me, I was all, I was, it was great academically. I also got to um, compete on the the cross country and track teams up there as well, uh, where I made a lot of lifetime friendships and stuff uh, there with the coaches. And it's probably I probably wouldn't be a, you know, it's kind of how I became a coach. I did it myself. I got so right. much out of sports as a you know growing up, and so uh, to be able to kind of give back some of that experience to to my kids is 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 a it's a great honor and a privilege and a, and a pleasure. You know, like it really is. It's um, I've I've always loved doing. I've, it's been a great part of, of being at Everett, you know, since I started. 
Yeah, we're, we're definitely lucky. Uh, we definitely feel lucky in that, in that sense as well. So um, let's get right into it. Um, you know, I, as a social studies teacher, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of social studies and, and, and history teachers are bearing the burden um, of why didn't I know this about history, especially Black, black history? Why don't I know this and why don't I know that? Right, and um, I, I, in many respects, it's not, it's not fair, right? Yeah. But what, when did it, when did it really hit you that you, it has to, you that you have to rework um, some of what we're teaching or what you are teaching, making that really relevant to not just black students but all students, uh, because I think. You know, I always speak about the how this benefits white students as well. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. You know, I mean, it is something that I think that like when you get into, t I mean, I know what I was taught growing up and, you know, it was a certain version of history and uh, it was and it was I think as I got as I got old, I had a really good um, teacher in grad school. Like I got my master's from Tufts uh, uh -huh. teaching and uh, the guy, the, this guy, Steve Cohen, who was over there was a really good teacher about this stuff. And, uh, and um, so uh, it, it was that, and it was, uh, so th that was part of it, that the program was really good there. Um, it was also kind of an education for me is like, I became an adult and started kind of, you know, like learning about the world, shall we say. And right. um, I kind of like, I think, I, I mean, I know this is a little old for the kids, for the, our students, but um, I kind of, uh, was the the war in Iraq, which you know started in two thousand and three? You know, um, was like I kind of like had consumed certain news sources and things that had certain assumptions about you know how things would go and what was going and what what was going on in that part of the world, and then it um, it didn't pan out that way. You know, like it didn't the, the 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 mainstream media story you know kind of fell apart pretty quick, right? There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Right. We were not prepared to you know occupied the country, you know, all, there was tons right. of and, and tons of people died. And it was kind of a very, like a, like a wake up call of like, I have to like shake, I have to kind of look for new things. And so it started out kind of about specifically about Iraq and how that went so wrong. And I started, um, and I, it, I, I started reading Atlantic magazine, which I'd never read before. And I read it because some of the people in there had, were kind of right about the war. And then, um, and then I started, and then there was a guy who was not really well known then. He's very well known now, but Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, ah. wrote for the Atlantic. And, yeah. and I, and I, I was at one point in my life, I love blogs and right. I started reading blogs and he, save I, here, save here, save yeah. Here. Yeah. But he started and he had a blog when he was really very, you know, very kind of obscure. And he, yeah. and I started reading him because he loved the civil war, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like the study of the civil war. And I like the study, you know, the civil war. I, that's right. What he, and I teach it now, and it's it's like to me one of the I will the highlights of the course in some sense. Right. And uh, and so I started reading him, and you know, kind of going on this journey, like kind of, of like learning a different version uh, of, of U.S. history, maybe a more in depth version, right. and, uh, you know, of it, and uh, something that is you know that had that is some sense the traditional textbook version wasn't getting it you know what i mean it wasn't right, right. it wasn't a there was a there was a disalignment 
<laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, it was a disalignment and it wasn't telling the whole story. And right. if, if you just read the textbook, then the world was confusing, you know, like right. sense because you're like, you're like, well, I know though, you know, so this, this shouldn't, you know, but then, like I said, kind of like almost like where I was, had read about Iraq and then the real Iraq wasn't like what I was told in the, right. you know, the New York times or whatever. Like it was like, well, there's more to this story than that, you know? And, um, and, and it was like, and I knew, and it wasn't that I didn't know any history, you know, black history at all, but like, right. it was like, but it was more like, it was getting much more in depth to it. You know, like, I mean, I just think about like when I teach the civil war, like, you know, the version of the civil war, uh, you know, is very like, you know, about the, you know, the North winning and ending slavery. And it's very Lincoln centered. Right. You right, know? right. I'm a big fan. And I, to this day, I'm a huge Abraham Lincoln fan. You know, I, I think he deserves, you know, a ton of praise, but I think a fuller version of the, the war is it's not that Lincoln, you know, signed the emancipation proclamation, you know, like, and that's the end of the story. You know, that was how it happened. It was like, you know, from the day the war start, you know, well, even maybe without even getting to what happens before the moment the war starts, uh, from the very beginning, the slaves start running away, right? You know, they start right. rolling into Union lines and uh, and kind of like put. And at first, they're being sent home, right? They're they're actually Union commanders are actually sending them back, like. And then someone says, "Well, wait a second, what what are we doing here?" You know, and they um they start allowing them, you know, to kind of stay, you know, for not because they're so all such as wonderful people, but part just to hurt the slaveholders who they're fighting, but right. then, but they kind of start forcing the issue, right? A, a war that Lincoln starts fighting is, you know, he says, I'm just about saving the Union. They, they the, the escaped slaves and their arrival in Union lines is the beginning. They're the ones who really push Lincoln and others to transforming the nature of the war from a war to, you know, uh, save the Union to a war to end slavery. And, right. you know, and it's like, they are very much uh, active players in their own emancipation, right? You right. know, they're not some sort of waiting for Lincoln to come and save them. You know, they are... Uh, you know, they're kind of, they're doing that. And then they're, of course, they're joining the army, you know, and fighting and uh, all throughout the war, despite the fact that uh, if they get captured, they're going to be, you know, uh, either re-enslaved or murdered on the spot. Right. And right. Both, both things Lynch, happen. Lynched the whole nine. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to be lit and they're, you know, and, the, and all this is going on and they're very much, you know, and, and so they're very much like kind of, pushing the narrative forward and pushing us towards the 13th amendment, you know, like the people themselves. And so that if you're really telling the story of, you know, how does slavery be emancipated, you know, Lincoln deserves his, his praise and he plays his part. And that's really important. Yeah. Right? Lincoln, Lincoln pushed the button. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I think you're right. Right. The full story mm -hmm. is not being told. I feel like when I, I feel like most Black academic journalists mm -hmm. are very much like Colts. They love the civil rights. Um, they love they not civil rights. They love the Civil War because of the intricacies and the lack of truth telling in the Civil War. Like you even just highlighted a couple of things as well. I'll, very few people know, black and white, that Lincoln pushed the button, but. Lincoln also gave reparations to slave owners, like yeah. which is which is it's it's sort of like all right, it's 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 the great game of politics. Yes, let them go, but it's profitable for you to let them go. Um, I think yeah. I I think looking like looking at that really um, 
it really just prompted me to really help and work with people through the events of the civil war. I feel like as a nation, um, I think we have this obsession with heroes and our timeline is not really a timeline. It's just based on hero. Let's look at black history, right? Harriet Tubman, all the way to Martin Luther King. In between there's, you know, there's all these other folks. And even if you look at, at, at our regular US history, there's all these timeline of heroes, right? And I think now we should just, for me, this to be personally, I always look at social studies teachers and history and civics teachers, like I like I want them, and I and I think many of them, like you, are just like, all right, let's just be truth tellers now, right? Like let's just yeah. tell the truth, right? So as we look, as we shift in our in our conversation here, in in regards to how history has been kind and not kind um, to to the politics of race, how. How did we get here with the capital riots? Like a lot of people, the common person who's just not really seeking anything, right? It's like, oh, this had very little to do with, with, with race, or this had very little to do with it. But where, how did we, how did we, because I know when I went to DC last year, I was on Capitol Hill and I couldn't even get close. And I was like, you know what? I don't even want to go there because I'm gonna die, right? Like <laughs> I don't wanna, I'd love to go give um to, to go uh give um Ayala Presley, give her a fist bump, you know, something, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going there. How do did we get here and and how that's one, and two, how are we supposed to tell the history? <laughs> It's like, how is this story going to pan out? You know, how are we going to yeah. tell, tell the kids, you know? Well, it's still ongoing, right? right. You know, really, it's, this is, not, you know, it's, we're in the middle of it, right? I mean, right. and I know that sometimes I you feel like I'm so sick of living through historic things, right? We're living through a pandemic that's historic. We're right. living, and it's just like, it, there's a weight in that. And it's, and it's tough, to, you know, but it, it is what it is, right? We're here. Right. We're here now. Um, and I would, well, I mean, like, you know, how we got here, I would say is, uh, we go back to uh, to Barack Obama getting elected in 2008, right? right. That's like a major historic moment, right? right. And, and of course, as, as you know, like anytime we've had a moment of, of black folks getting ahead, we have a backlash, right? right. And that goes back to, you know, to uh, ancient time, you know, as, right. as far back as we are as a country. And, um, and so Obama, so you have the rise of Obama and he gets elected and then Trump is actually on the scene pretty soon afterwards questioning Obama's birth certificate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he is saying that he's not born. And if you don't know, you know, you have to be born in this country, you know, not, you can't be an immigrant to be president. And right. it's the only job in the country that requires that. And Obama, of course, was born here in, in Hawaii. Right. But Trump starts questioning him, you know, like that he said, well, I don't really know if he's really born here or whatever. And, uh, and really kind of, and starts questioning, and, and this is a, there's a real bad history here of, you know, of saying that, you know, if you are, uh, you know, non-white voters essentially are not totally legitimate, right, you right. know, like, and that, and that's, and he's questioning Obama's legitimacy there, and, and he uses this, right, and this racism is his, you know, is his propeller from being a, a failed businessman to being a successful politician, you know. Right. And, uh, essentially, fundamentally, he is. 
Right. All he is is playing the politics. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. You know, you no, know, totally. And he, you know, and he is using that and his he has like he has a skill set. And then one of his his skills is lack of shame, right? You know, right. he will say the thing, you know, the racist thing that other people might be too embarrassed to say out loud, and he'll just come out and say right. it, you know, and and there's a certain group of people that like enjoy that, right? There is a thrill to that. And it uh it really helps him, you know rise up you know rise to the top of the republican ranks even though a lot of people are treating him like a joke for a very long time there's this, even in the 2016 when he runs all the other candidates are attacking each other because they assume he will you know it's right. you know implode because it's too implode. absurd to think that right. this, <laughs> our reality yeah. start right yeah how, there's no way this guy can win and you know and then he does of course he does you know and um and he because he you know, in some sense, he's for a lot of people, he's the bully they want out there, right? You know, they don't like the change that's happening in the country. They don't like the new multiracial America that Barack Obama represents, right? That uh, you know that is that is rising in the demographics in the country, and he's the answer, right? He's the guy that's going to fight right. all that and, and push back against all that for you, right? And uh, and then it um, and then it works, right? He gets the nomination, and really through a bit of a, a fluke, right? He gets in and he doesn't get a majority of the vote, but he gets the, uh, the majority of the electoral college and right. you know, weeks by and then and, and he gets in. And, uh, and then, and so he's there as the backlash and he's, you know, and this, but we've, this is, but I would say this about talking about history. Trump is, uh, and there's a lot of people are actually like, they're just so shocked by him, right? Like they just, they're, they can't believe. And then you know, the New York Times spends four years interviewing rural white voters and diners trying to kind of like get to the bottom of this, this whole Trump thing. But he's and, not the new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm going here is that yeah. it's not new. Like if you were an American who was alive in like 1900, you know, you, you recognize him. He's everywhere, right? There are guys like him all over America, especially in the American, in the Jim Crow South, right? Yes. So that, that, that they get their rise by appealing to racism and, uh, and, and coming to the top of the pol political order that way, right? Um, and I would say, though, if you think about like the closest parallel, you know, we, before we get into like uh, January 6th is uh, there is in... And there's a lot, this, this violence happens, you know, all, all, it, it overthrows reconstruction, you know, reconstruction right. ends through a violent terror campaign, right, to end it, you know, uh, I mean, a free and fair election in the South, in a lot of these states would have yielded a Republican government uh, committed to racial equality. And so you don't allow a free and fair election, right? Uh, you know, the all, you know, all, all during Jim Crow, uh, you know, there is, a, there is, you know, the violence of the Ku Klux Klan and other groups that, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, Oppression. that, yeah, that, that stop free and fair elections from happening, right? If there's yeah. a free and fair election, I mean, in, I think it's three states, uh, you know, they're uh, Florida, South Carolina, and Mississippi. The majority of the people in the, those states are, are, are former slaves. So if they're just all allowed to vote, they're going to win, right. you know, they're, their preferred candidate's going to win. So you don't let them vote, right? You, uh, which is, you know, we need to touch to our modern voter suppression that's going on right now. But, um, but the violence is there. There's this violent backlash, and uh, and they did this, you know, all across uh, southern state. One of the actually famous one I was I was just um, thinking about recently was there's uh, there was a government uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, in 1898, and uh, 
it is it is run it's called a fusion ticket there was a, a political party that arises for a little while in north in north carolina especially in this era and it's a multiracial party white and black folks together uh mostly poor people who work together to get elected to try to have institute a government that will give a fair shake to the working man of, of all races in North mm-hmm. Carolina. And it's very popular for a couple of elections. And right. uh, it's terrifying for the kind of entrenched white power structure that is right. now faced with a multi-racial coalition of people who are, you know, voting for their economic interests, right? To right. Economic redistribution, investment in public schools, and right. you know, right. all these things that they can have. And so, um, in 1898, they stage a violent coup uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and they just start killing uh, black folks. At ra- Some of them just kind of at random, just walking down the street. And, yeah. uh, and, then they, and then they go up to the courthouse and they remove the elected government at gunpoint. They put a gun to the head of all the elected leaders in Wilmington and they say, you have to, um, you got to go. Like you're resigning as of right now. And they, of course, not wanting to get shot in the head, they right. sign their names and uh, and resign. And then immediately, leaders of that violent coup install themselves as the local leadership in, in Wilmington, oh. North Carolina. And uh, and they, you know, and they just and Wilmington had been. I don't think it is now, but it was at the time the biggest city in North Carolina, and it was majority African American at the time. And mm. uh, and they, and then of course, a lot of people flee the city afterwards because they no longer, you know, feel safe. You know, this is the year of the Great Migration, and people, you know, are starting to leave. And um, but, you know, they they won't. And this and this isn't like I guess I say this is a terrible, violent, awful thing, but it credentials the people involved with it. Though the white folks who do this, five of the next six governors of North Carolina were involved in this. All right, like they're like they are actually. Uh, participants in this race riot and they participants in this coup and you know they murder people right they kill people and they get away with it right they uh, not only they not go to jail they become the highest echelon of leadership in the state of north carolina and nothing new nothing new it's the same thing nothing new go ahead nothing new so there so this is the template right and so you know um you know Trump is, you know, is a figure like that, right? His his qualification for office is in some sense, I share your prejudice and I'll be mean to the, you know, uh, to the people that you don't like, right? right. And uh, and then he gets in office and he does it, right? And he's, uh, you know, separating families at the border, you know, like, right? He's, he's destroying families at the border and he is, uh, you know, being, you know, just, a, 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 you know, the, he's really trying to restrict immigration, right? As much right. Illegal immigration, illegal immigration. He has a ban on um, immigration from um, Muslim majority countries, right? Uh, you know, that he, he puts in place. And uh, it's all about, you know, trying to stop this change in demographics that's happening in America, right? right? You know, that we are, you know, that you think of like the time of the civil rights movement, we're like, I think, 87% white in America, right? About right. 13% black and that's that's the racial that's it, that's it right no, that's nobody it. else is here yet and there's a lot then everybody well, else is here. yeah the native americans at that time were there was genocide yeah they were yeah, yeah. they were they were very small i mean i think they were a little bigger by the 1960s but by 1900 there's less than a million native americans left in the country and uh and you have you know and that's it and then and then as part of the civil rights movement, you know, the, everyone knows about the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, but they also changed the nation's immigration laws in 1865, uh, not in 1965. 1965, yeah. And they, 
now so they no longer put favorable treatment towards european immigrants and uh and they start to go and then the demographics of europe change so they immigration even falls more than it might have you know just because of that and at the same time we start uh, people start migrating here from other parts of the world for the first time and uh and it, it just and it just and it kind of compounds year after year after year you know and um it takes a while right it, it doesn't it, the change isn't overnight it's kind of a slow generational thing um, but by 2008, when Barack Obama comes along, the change is enough that he can be elected. Right. You know, right. And, uh, and that was something that even 20 years earlier, he couldn't have done. Right. He got, no, no. he got the same, like the, Not coming uh, after Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a really telling thing about this. Mike Dukakis, right. The former governor of Massachusetts runs in 1988 and gets killed. Gets yes. Right. And Barack Obama got roughly the same amount of the white vote as Mike Dukakis did, right? Except one of them got killed and one of them didn't. Well, what's right. the difference? The demographics of the country are just vastly different, you know, right. by 2008. And they've, you know, they're even changing more uh, since that time. So there becomes this, you know, uh, you've seen this as this has happened, uh, the, you know, there's always been this thing of like, you know, the Republican Party, you know, is, as this has gone on, so, well, the Republican Party is going to have to change to appeal to the new America, right? It's going to have to change to the appeal to the changing demographics of the country. And there is a different point. There are, you know, attempts sometimes of immigration reform led by Republicans that ultimately kind of fail uh, for, very, you know, uh, because there's just, there isn't enough of support in the party anymore for that stuff, right? Ronald Reagan in the 1980s offers an, you know, a, well, now we've got an amnesty to, uh, you know, to um, undocumented immigrants. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, the hero of conservatism in the 1980s, but the coalition isn't feeling under threat then because the demographics are so different. But, right. uh, the disparity is so great, right. The disparity is so great that it's like, sure, we can legalize these people. I'm not, you know, right. I'm, not I'm not all that worried about it, but you know, now it's, it's very different. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the Obama tries to, you know, they pass, try to pass immigration reform when Obama's first in office, it fails. He ultimately does kind of legalize the dreamers, but he has to do it through executive order. So they're always been kind of in this legal, you know, limbo yeah. ever since, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and then they could, you know, Trump tried to pull it away and, you know, he kind of got blocked on a legal technicality as to, you know, that really kind of saved it. Yeah. Uh, right. And, um, even though no one really could contemplate what it would mean if you were at, you know, the, the number of people to remove them would be, you know, just like this human tragedy that no one can, I don't, I don't think everyone can even think about, but, uh, but, you know, there, but there's still this, there's this fear of this new America. So the, so instead, so don't reform immigration, don't kind of broaden your appeal. So now it's become, you know, those voters are illegitimate somehow. And, you know, and they're cheating, right? You know, right. It's these ac accusations right. of cheating. And this is, this is all in Jim Crow. And, and re there was always this idea of corruption and cheating among. Yeah, uh, every, every time, yeah, Democrats yeah. win. Yeah, there's a cheating. There's a cheating. It has, be, it has to be cheating, right? It <laughs> it has to be, be, you just beat me fair and square. Yeah, yeah, cheating, yeah. Right? You, 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 you guys aren't upholding the establishment. You're not voting the right way. And so, right, right. And so there's, you know, efforts at like kind of, you know, voter suppression. It actually starts in a familiar spot with the um, with the Supreme Court, uh, with um, was the Shelby County case down mm -hmm. in Alabama, which I still to this day can't believe. I mean, I, no, I, can't, I guess I should be able to believe, but it's still kind of hurtful to think that the Supreme Court would go after the Voting Rights Act like that, you know, like which is like 
probably been the most successful that of the civil rights act the two most successful pieces of civil rights legislation we've ever had ever had ever had and they worked right you know they're not perfect but they worked you know they they did end jim crow they did bring about changes in this important changes in this country and and they were actually renewed by like in 2006 they're renewed over what like a bipartisan majority of congress votes to extend them for like another 20 years or something like that and then the supreme court steps in and says no you can't do that and uh and it voids some of the um it takes away some of the enforcement power under the voting rights act and almost immediately you see vote like laws go like coming into place to suppress the vote right to stop you know stop people from, you know from voting and uh, usually black folks because they're right. you know they're kind of because it's an easy because it's the reason in some sense well this multiple reasons but one of them is they're just they're easy to identify and pick out and say okay we're not going to let them vote because they're just so it's so well known that they're a key a core constituency of the democratic party right correct and they're super easy target right if you you look at the if you look at the strains right the dna strains of slavery it's just they're just a super easy target yeah Yeah. absolutely go ahead it's yeah it's it's so easy to kind of go you know go after them to you know because it's it's on the census. It's oh, the, this is where they yeah. live. We know that ninety percent of them will vote Democrat, so we're going to make it as hard as possible for them, uh, right. to vote. And right. you know, and this is all Georgia right. did that. In Georgia, oh, maybe we'll get into Georgia if you have enough time. Get yeah, on. I know, I know. No, no. You can see that, right? And you see, you you see, like, I mean, like you, you're right. When you have this like dueling feeling, when you see like a a huge line at a polling place, you know, people lined up to vote. And then the party was like inspired. Yeah, democracy. But on another hand, like it shouldn't take that long to vote. It shouldn't, right. you, you shouldn't need a lawn chair and a bag lunch. You should right. be able to like, you know, I mean, I know where I, I mean, I've never, it's never taken me more than about 10 or 15 minutes to vote in my life. Right. You know, right. like you. that's, you know, how it should be for everybody, you know, and like, but no, you make it so that, you know, you might need the day off or you might need, you know, these other things and, you know, and, um, and that, and so that, you know, to just, even if you're not, you're not direct, you're not saying, okay, um, you know, black people can't vote in this election, but what you are saying, you know, oh yeah, but you're going to need like the whole day. Yeah. The route, the route, the path to voting is going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, and, I think you did a really good job really identifying the whole, you know, people say, why are you mad? You know, like, this is why people were mad, right? This is why the threat of having to share democracy with other people and then turn around and look at other white people and be like, hey, you're not one of us because you're supporting, you're supporting democracy, right? Yeah. So in, when you're looking at when you were, how, how did it strike you that day, January 6th? I was, I, I, you know, instinctively, I'll tell you, I was like, wow, this is unreal because I can't believe that it's gotten this bad where entitled white folks will turn on the establishment. I just... Yeah. They are couple teachers, cops, firefighters, yeah. retired army vets. So what was sort of your reaction? I, like you gotta turn around and face kids the next day, you know? Like No, I know. It's like it was it was quite a thing, right? To see it in to see it happen, right? You know, and uh, 
I mean, and like, and there's some of the images that came out of it were just so like, it was almost like if you were writing a script for a movie, I'd be like, that's too obvious. You can't be that, you know, you gotta be a little yeah. more subtle. Like, like they showed up with a gallows, like with a noose. Yes. And, yes. And, they, and they didn't have like a doll to put in there or something. It no. wasn't like, no, like it was a real thing. And, you know, and then they got the guy walking through the you know the capital with the confederate flag over yeah. building, you know and you're just and like, the shaman guy like yeah, the shot but he was almost a distraction a little bit because it was yeah. like because he made them look ridiculous right right and, right and that's and that and i was like they you know it almost makes it easier you can laugh at them and not take them seriously but right they, but they, what they're they, doing is a is one of the most serious things history of, we've seen yes in, in history so my question now is if what do you believe like do you believe it is do you believe honestly what would they have done if they had found pence <laughs> that's the isn't that the million dollar question i mean that's like that is a great question of the thing because there was i mean i think some of those people might have killed him or at least yeah. in prisoner right you know yeah. and tried to like i think it was that they had like even though the that th like Pence didn't have the power that Trump said he had, right? No. He doesn't have the power. To, no. It's just a ceremonial gaveling. Yeah. It's not, he has no legal right to stop that, right? So he is completely powerless in the situation, but Trump got it in his head that he could do something, right? And then he told the supporters, you know, Pence is failing us because he refuses to step up and act. And then he got, I think they might have, honestly, they, there was a guy, there was guys, there was zip ties, there was guy, you know, like there was because, guys. Right arms you know like it was they were serious those like, not every look some of the people in the crowd were buffoons but some of those people were deadly serious we're we're, we're professionals we're yes. professional like possibly Our, like uh terrorists right and yeah. you know i i just can't like i'm thinking I, i'm just i think the shock in, mainly in my if that you know people who have a brain, right? Like, like it was like, how were they able to get away with this? But as as you put, as related to history, this isn't anything new. And, I, and this is the, this is why I'm so glad I have you on because I, this is, we now are stuck back in the schools with a, with a truth. We have like, we have to like legitimately start telling the truth. Right. Like no more like sugarcoating, no more skipping any steps. And that's why I appreciate you, you being here and really dropping some knowledge around, like, for instance, Wilmington, North Carolina, and, and really helping us rationalize the threat of um, people who are who feel that their their own personal safety, their economic safety, their mental safety. Um, like I have a saying about the, the whole community, the, you know, like people be, being scared to be around black people. I give it, I think personally, like, I think there's a lot of white folks who feel that their, their goal in life is to move as far away from black people. But the only problem is yeah. that black people feel the same way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I, like, I think black people want to move to like the suburb because it validates who they are. Um, and I, it, it speaks to a truly a deeper, a, a, a deeper, um, a deeper effect of that strain of slavery. 
So and there is, there's a lot of people I talk to and a lot of people who watch, who, who watch, uh, who dares to watch this podcast. I mean, it's called Black Factivism, right? Mm-hmm. So like, um, talk to us a little bit about the Willie Lynch letters and what, and, and, and with the Willie Lynch letter, obviously we didn't prep for this. So, yeah, uh, but with the Willie Lynch letters, like, I feel like the guy was right, right? But <laughs> in a sense, right? It was awful. It's an awful thing, right? But could you shed some light on the Willie Lynch letters? Because I think I think people have a hard time understanding um, their understanding of the Willie Lynch letters is um, is very much um, a very much a, a convoluted um, type view. So could I mean could you just I'm sorry just jog my memory quickly on the Willie like so the Willie the Willie Lynch letters was the the letter that he wrote the news the paper that, or paper journal that Willie Lynch wrote um, about saying that hey listen these people are have been enslaved for so long after a while they'll start killing each other. You know, it's just the art of how to mistreat the slave in order to treat the slave. And, um, and we don't have to touch on it now, yeah. but the, the art, the, I, I see, I'm seeing some repercussions of the Willie Lynch letters because I believe that the, a lot of times in my community it is right. Willie Lynch came out and said, hey, listen, um, you could treat them as bad as you want. You could not allow them to read. You could beat them, you could rape them, but they'll get used to it. And then and then you'll find one or two of them that'll you you could you could give them freedom, but they always come back because there's always comfort in abuse, right? I'm, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. So if you if you if we look at for me, and I'm speaking you know, as a black man, I see it. I see that the validation that is needed, right? Um for you as a white man. And who 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 I believe is like I this is me I always talk straight. Sure. Um, is compromising his white skin to have some, this conversation because a lot of times you don't have to right you could just be a white guy and exist with the privilege all you want. Um, like how how is that is that a, was that an easy moral decision to. Well, I mean, I guess I'll just say about myself. I mean, you only have clearly where, yes, yeah, a one answer thing, but like, yes, you, it's, it's, it's an easy one. I'll give you that, right? <laughs> well, uh, like, well, I guess, I guess I would say, I mean, I guess I think about like Everett, right? Where we are, right? Know, both educators at, right? My family goes back a very long time in Everett, right? My family were immigrants to Everett back in like the late eight, like late 19th century, early 20th century. They were, you know, Everett. You know, Everett was has always been kind of a gateway city, right? Of people coming. Yes, in, yeah. Right? And right. people don't even know what gateway a gateway town is. When yeah. like it's crazy. Yes, Everett has been that for a very like from the very beginning, right? And uh, and it's always been changing too, right? As it goes along, like my grandfather talks about, you know, he was Irish, you know, born here but Irish descent all. And then in like the 1940s starts noticing there's an awful lot of Italian people moving into this town, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that to him was change and Everett was changing, uh, you know, with it, you know, even though I think now people would kind of laugh to think that, you know, Italian people really changed Everett so much beyond. But then, you know, and then, so that was kind of, but that was where immigration was coming from at the time. Right. So, and then like Everett, you know, now in the last, you know, 
you know, 20, 30 years probably is now shifted again, right? And now immigration is here from, um, you know, from Brazil and, you know, Haiti and Vietnam and everything like that. And, you know, look, I know, you know, and so people, I think people often talk about it, Everett is changing, right? You know, and it is in a, in a, in an ethnic sense, right? You know, the, right. it has, it, there's no, there's no question it has. has I think it's the most diverse city I've ever been in. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's like, like <laughs> evenly split as possible, you know? Yeah, it is. But I would say in a lot of ways, like the, the ethnicity has changed, but I think the people, I see so much of the same humanity in the people now that I see in my, you know, my family, right? You know, that they grew up there. My mother grew up right on Broadway and Everett. And my dad grew up right over the border in Revere, right behind the cemetery on Howard. And they got married, you know, and like, and they're both from big families. I have tons of aunts and uncles and stuff like that. And I more often than not, when I'm meeting our students who, you know, are, you know, there, we still have a few Irish and Italian folks around, but not as many. I see the similarity so much, you know, in them, you know, and like not everyone appreciates that. Right. You know, like I will say, I, you know, I look, I'm a coach, so I have a ton of like stuff with Everett on it. Right. You know, right. Sure right. Me too. I just got some in the mail today. Yeah. <laughs> I got all my average swag. So one night I'm going home from here from Everett after coaching and I'm going, I stopped by CVS in the pharmacy where I live in Melrose and I stopped by the pharmacy in Melrose to get, to get, pick something up on my way back. And I'm in the line at the pharmacy and a woman who's working in the pharmacy behind the counter goes, Oh, you from Everett, huh? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm wearing the sign. And she goes, it used to be a great place is what she says to me. And I said, and I said, it still is. It's still, right. it's just, you know, like it was, was my answer, you know, and, uh, and she didn't like that very much. Right. right. So we didn't, that was not, a new, that was not my new best friend when I said right. that. Right. Right. So, she like, probably would have stormed City Hall. Yeah, she was not happy. I mean, she, maybe she was from there. She didn't like how, you know, how it has changed over the years and stuff like that. But I very much view it. There's a, there's a common humanity there. Right. You know, and I think that, what often, you know, like, and this is, you know, we, we did the history of racism and everything. It's often taken to dehumanize the other, right? To, yes. For me to look at you and not see a fully, you know, a fully human person, you know, right. across the street. Who is entitled to the same rights as the I am. Yep. Go down, go down the line. Yep. To like, so I, so I will, and it, it's done to alienate me from you, right? To divide right. me from you, uh, to keep us from working together to keep us from li even liking each other, right? right? And then I'm told all sorts of terrible things about, you know, what you will do, you know, like, and, um, you know, or whatever, why, why it's not safe for me to be around you or any of those things. And none of that is true, right? And I know that to, to be true. I mean, I know that, obviously. And, uh, and just not, and I, I guess I just don't want, and I, I want to kind of try to to bridge that gap right I, I just i just think it's the right thing to do because i look at this and i say you know my family came here as immigrants and not everyone was always excited to see them arrive you know like there was a you know the, uh, there's you know tons of history about the boston irish battling against the, the old school brahmins in boston yeah. at one point you know and my family was a part of that on the wrong side of that right i mean i've been to ireland where my family like you know left ireland in desperate poverty right and i went to the i went back to where my great grandfather was born and i went to visit like the local like the local land the british landlord who was there had this little like mini castle that he lived in it wasn't all that nice but he would have been the big shot of the local community and it was it was a 
it was a, a house, but it doubled as a fort because every now and then my relatives would get sick of how they were being treated and they'd, you know, come throw rocks at the house right. or something like that. But, um, but anyways, like my family at different times in different places has not always been, you know, accepted. Right. And I don't have to worry about that. Right. I'm, you know, in 2020, I'm, you know, I'm the beneficiary of being a white guy in America. Right. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't have a, a story of woe or oppression of, Mm. you know like but i know it's out there for other people and i just i guess i just think about it as like you know i would have liked it for someone to stand up for my family back in the day right when they didn't have anything you know and and i guess i just feel like now i'm here and i want to like you know to try to stand up for those folks who 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 need it you know right no no you're right i mean honestly you know i think we've come in such a space where we can't do it on our own, right? Like, I, I used to just be like, I can't, I don't need, like, no, I think we need allies like you to really help people. Like, there's a book, right? White Fragility, right? And then there's another book, right? How to Be an Anti-Racist, right? And like, folks are like, you know, you need to read the How to Be an Anti-Racist book. I'm like, no, I'm not. I need people to read White Fragility first. And they're like, you know, why? You know, a white lady wrote that. I was like, well, um, because a lot of people will listen to her first. (laughs) (laughs) She's more believable than the guy who, and then after you read her, it will help you rationalize this black academic writer uh, um, that that is Kendi. So like, even like going through those dynamics is really, is is really crazy in itself, right? But it's just the journey for the truth, right? Like like telling, like even like I, being in Everett, and um, you know a lot of people are like you know that's that place is this is that. Now, I I don't know about that. Like everywhere's gonna have people who are who who have the mindset, right? Um, but I've met people with a fixed mindset. Already in my six, seven months here, I met people with fixed mindsets who are now developing a growth mindset. And part of it is it is exposure. It is um, lack of general lack of knowing. Right. I'm not going to be a white person. I don't expect a white person to wake up and understand all the things that black kids go through. Yeah. Right. That's just not. That's not. If if any black person is looking for that, you're not. This is not the. It's not what we're looking for. Right. I think what they're what we're looking, what we're trying to help each other understand is that the lives that we live are greatly different than white folks because of our complexion and the strands of slavery. Right. Yeah. And people say, yes, yeah, so long ago. And here comes you, the U.S. history teacher is like, it wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> like, no. it was not that long ago. No, so the, what hurt the most about the Capitol, that's what, what hurt me the most about the Capitol, the insurrection was, like, I could, the nerve that I could, this is just something I could never do. Right? Yeah. I could go get an ice cream right now. You can go get an ice cream. We'll both get the same ice cream. It, yeah. it, and we both love that flavor, mm-hmm. but 
yo, you could get I that's the, the I could get I could only get Oreo cookies and you can get Jimmy's, you can get all of them, you know. And to we don't understand that we're also advancing the message of inequity. I'll give you an example. Uh, I when the when when the the Boston superintendent, the Everett superintendent, and other superintendents, I wanted to see what their messaging was. Yeah. And the message came out was like, hey, you know, let's, you know, this is a very uh, unfortunate thing. It's, the insurrection is awful. You know, it's just such a terrible thing. But I felt like they missed the point of why the majority of the demographic was mad. The kids didn't really, they was like, yeah, well, like, hey, they got enough money. In the kids' mind, they got enough money to do that. <laughs> Those yeah. folks, they got they can travel to DC. Lord knows where they stayed. They probably could afford the Trump Hotel to stay in. They got enough money to do that. Insurrections are expensive. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we can't afford to do that. So when that messaging comes out, yeah. that is very empathetic to the to the to the insurrection itself, or yeah. the people who was inside. That's not what kids needed to hear. Kids needed to hear. Hey, listen, man. I know whenever you guys speak up, you get met with bullets and you probably get killed and they talk bad about you. You know, um, it needed to be like, we understand that if it were you, you'd be dead. <laughs> and it's like, that's what needed to be said. And that's the lens that we have to look at in order, in order for us to uh, to move the needle on this work, and it's not going to be just a Corey McCarthy coming to Everett as the black as the black guy. It's like, hey, Brendan, Corey, they at some point will probably have different views, but they understand the dynamics for moving the needle. So um, I I truly. Um, and that's why I want people to hear. And I think that's what people are going to get when they hear us having our dialogue. These are two people who never met before, right? But with the understanding, right, that history influences how people are treating each other. And every time we're adv making advancements, there are, there's, uh, there's always room we have still left the door open for others to say, hey, hey, let's dial this back now, right? Yeah, there's fear, fear of that, <laughs> so, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's, like, and it's all, and I think one thing I've learned, like, listen, like, it's, yes, I never could point to what, at what point it, it has become a cycle, but I just, yeah, me, I just always felt, I've always felt that way, and um, I'm grateful for you taking your time to do that. So as you, how do your students, do you find that your students, was because of how, how knowledgeable you are and how empathetic you are to the sort of like urban student struggle, black and brown struggle, do you find that that builds a better connection for you and them? I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, I mean, I think that like, you know, I think, I think it is, I mean, it's much, one, just kids respect the truth, right? I think teenagers... I a mentor of mine once said, and this is so true. He goes, "Teenagers have a, a amazing kind of detector for like kind of 
not being genuine or, or BS or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, like you said, yeah. Almost, you get to be an adult and you almost lose that a little bit. You almost, because right. you get into situations and you want to be polite and you, so you kind of bite your tongue and you just, you somehow that gets sanded off a little bit. You don't quite have it, but teenagers know it and you got to kind of be real with them. And so yeah. like, you got to like tell, you know, tell them the truth, respect that they can handle it, you know, and, um, and guide them as if they can't, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, but it, it, I find it like it, yeah. If you come with them with the truth, right. You say it, uh, you know, and, and you do have their, I mean, you have their attention, you know, like when it's real stuff happening to real people, like that kind of like, is like, Oh, like that, like that's when they live, you know, I mean, I know that like when you start out, like there's always that hard to the beginning of like, how do I get this class of 30 kids to listen to me? Right. You know, right. Because, because they don't, they don't, have, they don't have to, right. <laughs> they right. They, they, you know, and they, and, and I think that just like you speak the truth to them, you tell them the truth, you are, you know, empathetic about what, you know, what they're going through that you don't, I don't pretend to like have gone through it or, right. or you know, like I'm not, no, I'm, I am who, you know, I am who I appear to be. Right. You right. Know? Yeah, like, right. But, but I am, but I'm here and I want, I want to help you, you know, like this, you know, this is, this is a meaningful for career for me. I, I spent, um, you know, 10 years working in the business world before I became a teacher. And, you know, I, um, I that's a tough transition though, too. Oh, it was, yeah. It was Shout out to you. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, tough, a, a tough transition. And here's the thing. It's not really to, to, to want to have like some cultural competence in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It's just really, it's not, you don't really have to always be academic about it. I try to tell people that all the time. I tell, like, when I'm working, when I do, like, my, my workshops and stuff, and I, I, and I talk to these people from other districts, white folks, I just say to them, like, yo, all right, here's what you do. Like, majority of teachers at one point I know have been broke, right? Mm -hmm. And if you, I guarantee you, if you started, if you're having problems relating to kids of color, mm -hmm. talk about that time you had no money in your bank account. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, things will change because a lot of our kids, because of the, all these cycles, um, they feel like all white folks are rich mm. and like, uh, or millionaires even, right? Because <laughs> at that point, living in poverty, you're not really able to, not say all of our kids are, because a lot of kids are not, but like majority are, like it's the reality is, right? Like it's the reality compared like the, the average black family in Boston is $8, worth $8, right? Like, come on. So compared to 240,000 to the white counterparts. So, the, but it, if you, that alone, it'll be like, mister, what? <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're sharing that, they're sharing that burden, you're showing some vulnerability. Yeah. Like, I think it's huge. I think people are still fighting that the, their vulnerability is not really trying to access that part of the student. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you make a good point. You know, I think we're both sort of agree in agreement about telling the truth. Because if for me on my, my end, if I don't tell the truth, when kids get to college, they're going to come back and look at me and say, Mr. McCarthy, you lied to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, no, they're, they're gonna come back too. They're gonna come yeah, back. Yeah, you know, you why you, you didn't tell me about this, but yeah. they're gonna turn and say to you, why didn't you tell me about this? Yeah, you know, no, and, and no one is thinking of the kids enough 
to ensure that the truth, like that, that the truth is being told, right? So, like, I, I, I think as we, as you know, you, you, I get off this, I end this podcast, and you, and you, um, and you go on, and you do obviously we'll interact. You know, we work together, sure. but like understanding the impact that you can have. Mm-hmm. And, and really like flexing on it will be greatly appreciated. I'm not saying you don't, but yeah. I, I want to, what I am saying is that the message itself and the historical context and not leaving things out is, 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 is huge. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad that we have you to really talk about and identify those things. Um, you know, because I, I think kids want to know, they want to know how did we get here? They want, you know, and then just really identifying folks who along the way, like not the not the checkpoint black folks, like not the Martin Luther Kings, it's fine. Like Martin, yeah, we know, I have a dream, cool. You know, but who came after that? And who impacted, a, who, who impacted policies, who impacted laws, um, who changed the game a little bit? And I think that's where, where, um, where, where we're headed. So um, yeah, I, I definitely think. And my last question for you, sure, yeah. Um, my last my last question for you is, what what kind of um, what kind of books are you are are you reading? <laughs> it's a very baseball question, but I love to know what kind of books are people reading. Okay. Right now. Well, I've, I've got a I I have to admit I've got a couple going. I'm always, I'm usually kind of reading more than one. Uh, yeah. So kind of I'm uh, well I'm, I'm I'm listening to an audio book on Ulysses S the life of Ulysses S Grant uh, okay. who was the the Victoria you know the Union general from the Civil War but he he plays a really uh, kind of important part in all this because you know because he when you know he's he, without him it's hard we might not have won the war he's also the president during a lot of Reconstruction and right. uh, you know he plays an important role in that and he he was for a long time. Um, thought of as a really terrible president. But even though he did, one of the things he did as president was he suppressed the Ku Klux Klan. It actually goes away for a little while because of Grant and then it comes back in the 1920s, but it's, it's you know, it, right. it, it's not the same. It's not a, a perfect through line. And he, he actually was a fairly progressive, you know, he had not been that way as a young man, but like a lot of people he's changed by the war and he, and but there was a real effort after the war and especially after he dies, to destroy his historic reputation, elevate Robert E. Lee in his yeah. place, you know, and even though he's actually the military genius of the war, he's actually the one, and they kind of, you know, they, they you know, as is, is part of this campaign to, you know, elevate white supremacy, they, you have to destroy Grant, right? Right. You know? And, um, and so I was kind of, I wanted to kind of know a little bit more about him, so I'm doing that, um, and then I'm doing another book, which is, a, it's kind of a, it's called Global Crisis. It's actually about, this is kind of, a, I don't know, our students might be a little obscure, but it's about in the six, in the, in the 1600s, we had a mini ice age on earth in the, mm-hmm. and, it was, and it was like climate. And it was, what it's about is it's, it was climate change. And it's a huge catastrophe for the human race that about a third of humanity dies because mm. of the little ice age, you know, and, and Chinese dynasties fall and all these terrible things happen. And it's, so it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a history, but it's also kind of written as like a warning about global warming. Uh, wow. and, and like, and climate, you know, we just saw down in, uh, in Texas, right. With the, with the power grid, you know, and going down and, you know, they like, they weren't prepared for that really cold weather, even though if we have, you know, 
climate change isn't about a rising one or two degrees. It, it's going to alter the entire ecosystem of this planet, right. and, you know, in, in very quickly in a way that will be really disruptive to, to us. And so I, I remember my first dose of climate change, believe it or not, was the movie Deep Impact. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, you know, the lady, I, I think that's the one where she's hugging her father. Yeah. And then the waves just say, hey, I, I'm like, I, I, and then the, the water, you see the Statue of Liberty's head. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can't even, I won't even be able to survive that. And I'm like, <laughs> like, what would happen? Like, what yeah. are we doing? What are we doing? And, I, and, and let me say this. Mm-hmm. Let me say this. I think, like you, like talk about Ulysses X Grant. Yeah. I think it, I think for me, I think we need to be more academic about the psychology of capitalism and the, 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 the underlying ideology of it, right? That this is mine. This is always going to be mine. I was here first type mindset about it. Myself. Yes. Right. right. And I think for, 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 for black folks to really, really understand that, I think we, we, I think we're doing some skipping and I think that's why that why it goes back to, to Colts and all these other great authors who have this affection for this for the um for the Civil War. And I I believe um, we have to get, and this is the audience, yeah. challenge yourself to become more academic about how we're going to because right now those folks that we are talking about who still live amongst us, right? They're not going away. Like I watched the CPAC thing over the weekend and like, I'm not judging anybody. Hey, that's yeah. your politics. That's fine. Yeah. Right. But I'm a little bit invested in the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like if you were telling the truth, if you say, Hey, Corey McCarthy just walks around in slippers all the time. Like, okay, cool. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And I don't like his slippers. Fine. Yeah. It's a fact yeah. that we're slippers. Right. Yeah. You have your opinion. But don't be like, yo, the guy has nine fingers and, and three yeah. eyes, man. Yeah. You know, like, it's just not fair. And right. if we are able to help people rationalize from a historical lens how people how it has affected folks today, we can really, really get some change, get, get some changes that affect policies because the one thing that that Americans and as a whole do under do try to respect still is historical context because it, it is a problem when it continues to repeat itself and we're one of the few nations where history repeats itself if you and I, i'm saying it's very few um it hasn't and i know you know obviously my scope is limited in terms of that but i know it hasn't in in um in in a lot of european countries you know in my country being for barbados we refuse to let it ha- let it repeat itself, but yeah. here it's just becoming a it's becoming a cycle. So, um, so I, I do this at the end of every um, thing. Like uh, you may hate doing this, but um, if you don't want to get on your soapbox and talk about just and say a couple of things, you could also you can always tell us what you like, la- what you love about your job. Okay, well, I, I actually do have something to say about that. I thought about this in terms of like. Sometimes this stuff can seem really depressing, right? Because you talk about all the bad things that happen and it can lead you feeling hopeless. And uh, I don't want to make people feel hopeless, you know, and uh, ultimately, because I think 
the change is, I, I mean, I guess I'll die thinking the change is possible if we uh, want to, you know? And um, I think that like, well, we got to realize one is that I think is that racism hurts everybody. Right. You know, and then like, obviously it hurts people and people like me much less than it does, you know, people mm -hmm. who are really going through it. So I'm not saying it's the same. I'm just saying that it kind of impoverishes us all in the sense that we, you know, we don't have the social safety net that other countries do, you know, because we don't have the, the, you know, the labor, you know, laws and all these things right. because we, you know, we're, we don't see ourselves in solidarity with each other. Right. And so like, I think that like, seeing that you know uh you know in each other and that and kind of overcoming that and recognizing that if we work together to fight these things we are all we will all benefit to some degree to it you know uh, i think and i think there's a very practical thing a lesson that we can learn from the past that we can kind of apply to now to hopefully bring about change which is if you think about what the, the one of the major the maybe the major failure of reconstruction in the end was is that the that era Republican Party couldn't protect its own voters and couldn't protect their access to the ballot box. And that's ultimately what brought the whole thing down, right? Is mm -hmm. that they were, you know, unwilling or unable to, you know, protect black voters in the South and get them to the polls and let them vote and let, you know, and have a free and fair election that we were talking Correct. about. Um, right now, you know, the Democrats got in, right? They won the election, regardless of what Trump says, they won a free and fair election. They are in power now. Um, they got to deal with COVID right now because that's the immediate crisis and they're rightly focused right. on that right now. But there is a law that's, that has been percolated. It's the John Lewis, I believe it's called, like voting rights. Voters' Right Act, yeah. Voters' Right Act, right? And that is designed to protect Democrat, you know, I mean, uh, all voters really, you know, like, because. I can live with losing a free and fair election. I just don't want to lose one that I get cheated out of. Right, you know? like right. The, the, and, 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 right, and the cheating be a real thing. Yeah, like because the voters who agree with me couldn't vote. Like that to me is outrageous. Right. And so I think that like, but this law is going to come along. You know, it's going to come around. It's coming through Congress. It'll probably come up later this year once the immediate COVID crisis can pass. And uh, and I would say that. Fighting to get that through Congress is probably the, you know, is the is the test of the Democrat, this form of the Democratic Party here, you know, because you've already seen that they're already all these and the they made up the charge of vote, Trump lied about vo, uh, voting irregularities, right? He right. lied about being cheated. And then uh, and then so then people, especially Republicans, doubt the validity of the election. And then Republicans are using the fact that people doubt the validity of the election as an excuse to pass voter suppression laws, you know, in like like I saw. So we talked about you mentioned Georgia, before, Georgia, you know, where Raphael Warnock, right, you know, which is a I mean. I, I, it's still to me like I, it's, I want to pinch myself to think that he could, you know, that there's so much significance of him being the senator from Georgia right. Right? to be in the, to be the preacher at Martin Luther King's old church and to come from that to be the senator from Georgia is, is it's, it's an amazing thing, right? But there are, the Georgia legislature is right now trying to going to make it much harder next time for black folks to vote. And he only has two years. And he only he's up again in two years, right? They're yeah. coming, they're coming for him right yes, now. Yes, yes, that's coming, all about him. It's <laughs> all about him. It's about beating him in two years, right? Yeah. And uh, by making it hard for people who support him to vote, right? And uh, and so you you have to protect, you know. And so those laws are coming, right? They're do it's happening right now. And do you the, think they can get him through? I, do I think Georgia can pass them? Yes. No, do I, you think the con? Do you think? Lewis, the Lewis Act will get will get through. Well, 
it's all it's it comes down to uh, it will pass the house of representatives yes and i know i i'm positive of that yeah the question is going to be and this is a, a guy in west virginia yeah <laughs> mansion what does mansion go mansion think of this right you know like what will he allow you know and it's like will you you know and even if and maybe there is some sort of face-saving way for him to kind of like you you say it's not repealing the filibuster but you do you know you essentially repeal the filibuster to get that bill through but i think that that is ultimately like getting that law passed is the key to um not making the same mistakes the republicans made in the 1870s which mm-hmm. is that you i think i think people appreciate that historical context of that right yeah. but only a only a social studies teacher can push that view i haven't heard it on any of the the pundits aren't talking about it the yeah. the, the news isn't talking about it but like pushing that historical context yeah I, that's why sometimes i like I'm an independent and I, it's very tough to really help yeah. like to watch them. Dem- you know, I won't keep it much longer, but like to watch Democrats just continuously just get beat up on and just have this be so short, have such a short memory of yeah. what has been done in the past four years to them. Yeah. And, and is that in all of fairness and just keeping to the, keeping to their, to a, a particular philosophy or is it just not uh, having? I find where Republicans to be more historically uh, savvy than uh, politically and historically savvy than Democrats. I do. Yes, um, I would agree with that, right? They just know it. They, they just know they know the intricacies, right? And I think that's why they're making it so hard for them. So can we get John the John Lewis Voter Right Act through? And can we get two thousand dollars? Yeah, the two thousand is going to come. Well, you mean the vote, the, um, the, the 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 money's coming. That part is going to go through. I think. Well, will it be two or fourteen hundred? What do you believe? Like, do you think like this is we're 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 outside of our job now? Yeah. Um, universe, Spotify, okay. Apple, universe. Like, do you do you think it hurts our our current administration if they throw if they give us fourteen instead of the two thousand after giving six? Huh? I mean, I would, I would tell them to, set, to, to do, you know, I'd say go full, you know, I mean, I know there's a limit at some point. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'd like, say 2000 every month, uh, like, like, you know, the country. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, like, you know, this is what people, they got to get over. Like, giving people money is really popular, right? It's it just, right. it's like, it's just some fun. People like the check. Like, people you know, like the check. And they like, the thrill, right? You know, like, and then they go like, you're like, oh, this is terrible. We really shouldn't be doing this. So, you know, and they grab it and like, you know, go put it in the bank, you know? Uh, right. And that's what Trump understood. Right? That's why he, he that's why he, he understood that people they like their money, they like yeah. their low gas prices, they like yeah. don't mess with my money, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we have to do a better job overall with the sadness of politics. Go ahead. You're totally right. Like I said, the gov- the Democrats need to kind of govern, I say loud and proud, right? They need to like to do it, to to govern, to do things for people and let people see them, right? You know, right. Like, I would say like, you talk about Trump there being smart about the checks. He held those checks up in the spring for like a couple of days to get the treasury secretary's name off them and his name on them, right? Yes. And, it, and for a couple of days, people are like, oh, this is terrible. People are in trouble. You got to get those checks out. And Trump's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah I, I, <laughs> that's, you know, and I just say this and I don't, and I'm a fan of his, but I'll say this, Barack Obama never would have 
let those checks be, he would have just sent them out. He never would have delayed them for a couple of days because he would have been like, right. oh, people need the money, you know, and he would have thought about it very technocratically and, and whatever. And, but he would have, I, some, you know, he, he, I think he just would have sent them out. And that was a very, and that's a very just democratic in general thing. They didn't want the New York Times saying, oh, why are you delaying these checks? And, right. and Trump's like, no, no, you're going to get a check and you're going to know that I gave it to you. Right? right. And so, like, I think Biden should call them, he should call them like Biden bucks. Right. And he should, <laughs> and he, he should be like that old, like, you know, the old, the, the, the right. as much as they hate him, they're going to spend the money. They're going to cash. Yeah, gonna, he should, I would take a picture of myself. I'd be handing out checks. I'd, <laughs> I'd be like, Slapping the the, the nightly news. I'd be like the Celtics game with the with the gun with the check. Yeah, with the the gun, like, you're just handing them out. I'd just be handing like, here you go, like take your I think people appreciate. They want to see it, right? They want to see what they're getting, you know. And so I would, I, I, I get my guess is it's going to be fourteen. If you're asking me to predict, I think it'll be fourteen, but. Um, but it's that'll still be something, right? And they're talking about child credits, you know, like which is could really to talk about like trying to cut child poverty. That could be a really good thing, a real practical thing that would help a lot of people, you know. Um, I mean, like the Democrat, they they got to do that, right? I mean, they you know, like Obamacare, you know, gave health care like twenty million people, right? That's a huge deal, right? That'll you know, a like a lot of rural, um, rural Americans that still would be like, yeah. I, yeah, it's just hard to think, but um, yeah, you make a great point about, you know, not really like trying to stay on the negative and, and you know, this, if there's a, what it, what history always teaches us is, is, is lessons that we could always try to learn from and the resources are there. We just, a lot of times we don't use it. Right. And, but the problem and the thing is, for the black community, though, it's hard because we don't know what those lessons are, right? And, and we need people like you to continue to get that get that message out as well. So, um, Mr. Hasey, did I say it right? Hasey, yeah, yeah. Hasey, it's okay. Mr. Hasey, I cannot wait till to um till you, we return to the building, yeah, um, totally. and I could pop in your class and we could have one. I definitely want to have you on again. Um, um, I would love, I would, I would love to. Um, you know, my audience is pretty rangy. I don't know why. I think they, I think they, they listen because they don't like me, but they, <laughs> and I think some of them don't think that I'm like, I yeah. can't, I, this, this guy's going to get fired. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated like, to listen to a McCarthy, uh, McCarthy hate listener, you know? Like, <laughs> I yeah, have a few of them. Yeah, it's the so hate, funny. The haters out there too. Uh, right? oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I love it. Right. I, I love, like, I love, I have a, I hate pain, but I'm, I'm okay with discomfort, right? So, like, that's, that's just my thing. Like, I, hey, if you're uncomfortable, I'm cool, you know? Like, and I'm never really worried. Like, and even with the whole teachers and returning and, and union stuff, like, oh, just tell everybody what tell everybody what you don't want to do. <laughs> tell them why. Like, no, no. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to kill my mother, right? Like, that's it. Like, or, or like, I need these kids to learn. Like, that's it. Or, I want to teach my kids to learn. I mean, I I miss my son. I don't. Zoom is so hard. But I have a I have a three year old asthmatic son that I don't want to get caught. Right. You know, right. I, so I, like yeah. this. That's the kind of realness that I think people. Yeah. Forget all the secrecy. Let's just put it all on the table, right? I'm all for. I don't work. I don't have a union. I chose not to take a union, right? So my whole thing is like, yo, if somebody needs, just tell me who's going to be here and tell me who's not going to be. Yeah. And you want to why? Because people have their own thing. They have their own stuff. And let's be, if, if we're talking about, 
I don't want to, I personally don't want to hear who will be upset if high school teachers get accommodations. I don't because it's a different, high school and middle school are two totally different things, right? <laughs> like literally two totally different things. So that's, that's just, and I, you know, my feelings are, are on, you know, well-documented. I just want folks to, to, to come back in September in their best space. And if that's what's going to, that's, what's going to give it to them. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't care if anybody teaches anything for the rest of the, the year other than, no, seriously, if you come back and you're just te- uh, working on folks' social emotional learning, yeah. um, and if you're really like building true connections and helping kids develop this path to, to, to come back as a, as a better person in September, I am cool. It is March, you know? So, like, that's, that's because people learn fact, kids learn. I've seen people teach algebra one in six weeks to kids. Like, yeah. like, so, like, I don't, like, come on, we'll back. We'll, there's enough resources out there to get people a little bit caught up, and who's, who well, knows if they're ahead or behind anyway. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, kids get kids can get ahead. You know, like mean, they can catch up. They're very resilient. We can uh, we can all get back to the right. You know, a lot of our kids have years before they're going to leave the high school. At which time we can, you know, we can help them between now and then. All the supplemental and, programs, all the interventions. There's more interventions coming their way than you could ever believe. Yeah. But I don't want to keep you up. It's oh gosh, this is um. That thank you so much, um, Brendan Hassey. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, folks, this is Brendan Hassey. He is a social social studies teacher at Everett High School. Uh, we are so glad to have him on. We hope to have him on again. Um, Mr. Hassey, I really thank you for telling the truth. Uh, I would have known when you were lying, but you did, you did it. Uh, but I, I, I appreciate you. And um, on behalf of everybody uh, who's watching, thank you very much. Um, you, have a, you have a good night. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we'll get this up. Uh, live pretty um, probably within the next 24 hours and um, I'll get the links in the atmosphere. Thank you. Well, 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 thank you so much. I just want to thank you for having me here. It's a, it's an honor to be honest. It's my first podcast or anything. Like ah, that. You should do, you should do more. <laughs> yeah, I know. So this is good. So this is, so thank you very much. I appreciate you having here and your enthusiasm to be at Everett and work with us. And, you know, like we haven't had to be in person, but uh, you know, it's uh, I, I am also looking forward to, you know, returning to normalcy in the building and we can hang and you're, you're welcome in my class, you know, whenever you, whenever you want to come by, you know, I I, I appreciate that. You have, you have a good night and take care. Good night. Take care. Yeah.